is sex and politics. This is the one, the only Tina Pavey, and I've taken over. Hey, how is everyone? I hope you're having a wonderful week. There's a lot going on. Keep your eyes on Jesus. There's still joy out there. But hey, I have a treat for you. I have taken over the studio. And actually, I'm turning the tables. How the turntables have turned. I am getting ready to do a Heart of the Candidate interview with the one, the only, the ever. Now, if he'll talk, he's pretty shy and reserved, but we'll see. I present to you the one, the only, Lieutenant Governor Candidate. Micah Beckwith. What's happening? Hey, Pastor Micah. Thank you for having me on my own podcast. You are so welcome. So appreciate it. So we're so you're I'm giving like that. I thought you were guest hosting, but you said taking over. So yes. uh that's a little more uh scary and I feel a little more concerned than I did. I feel like it's needed. Uh, so you're welcome. Well, <laughs> thank you. I think. Yes, no, it's great. I, I love these segments. We did this last uh uh, last election season, so well the primary. So back in April, we did a couple heart of the candidates where mm-hmm. a candidate comes in, shares their heart, why they're doing what they're doing, and uh, you ask them all the tough questions, and so that's fun. So I, it's fun to be on the flip side of this, where I am now the candidate, and the turntables, like you said, have turned. Turntables have turned. Thank you, Michael Scott. Wow. And uh, and so yeah, so uh, you ask away, ask, ask all the away. ask all the hard questions. Did you? Or you said something about you reached out to Rob Kendall. I did. I said, hey, I'm going to turn the tables on Micah. What would you want to ask him? And it, it actually was pretty benign. Like, yeah. I kind of expected a little more, like, snarky kind of a question. So here's the thing with, with Rob. Rob, I remember, uh, you know, he he talks a big game sometimes on the on the air, and he, he's, he's spot on a lot of times. But he did this one interview once, and it was – it was with uh, the current lieutenant governor, Suzanne Crouch, and she had just, uh, they had just gone through the shutdowns and everything like that. We were just coming out of COVID, and there was a lot of criticism of the Holcomb administration, especially coming from Rob. And he brings her in for an interview, and uh, and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be a great hard interview. Rob oh, man. Oh, it's going right? to be awesome. Like, hey, where were you? Why didn't you stand up to Holcomb this and all that? You know, typical things that Rob has called her out on. And he asked her nothing but questions about agriculture. Softball? It was softball questions all day long. And I remember thinking, Rob, you dropped the ball. And now anytime I bring it up, he's like, oh, that's a great political strategy. Let's offend all the farmers (laughs) in Indiana, Micah. And so... But Rob is amazing. I love Rob. Well, what it reveals is Rob actually has a really good heart. He's a big-hearted guy. Yes, he is. He is. Contrary to popular belief within the halls of Indiana legislature, he is a great guy. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, do you want to hear his question first? Uh, Yeah. Since we're talking about him, sure. That'd be great. Okay. So I texted Rob, and here's what he said. He said, I would ask him why he wants the job. Why does he want the headache and grief and stress of being lieutenant governor? That's a great question. And uh, and I have asked myself that uh, many times. First and foremost, it is a calling, um, not a... Um, it's not a career. I, I'm not walking into this as some stepping stone to some some other position somewhere down the road. This is, this is a calling to be a voice uh, within the world of government. I, I have always seen offices within government or platforms that you hold within your job or whether you know, I'm a pastor. So the platform that I hold and the voice that God has given me 
It is something to steward, and it's something that comes with great responsibility. And, and we have to use that. I think the biggest downfall within our culture right now is that people have been afraid to speak, speak truth. Mm-hmm. And you need people of influence in positions of influence to speak truth. And I look at one of the probably most underutilized offices in our state, and that is the lieutenant governor's office. It is typically, it's a placeholder office. It's a you know, show up for photo ops and just kind of sit in the in the wings and so like I could do it. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you could do it. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I could stand for photo ops. Yeah, yeah, I think you would. I think you would do well. Now, Indiana has a little bit more of a robust lieutenant governor's office than other states. It's not as bad as some states, but still, I think we've always looked at it in Indiana as just kind of a, you know, it's sort of a, the the king anoints the person to sit at their right Mm -hmm. hand and says, you know, you sit there, don't do anything, don't mess anything up, uh, be there in case I die, you know, stuff like that. But it's not really, it's not really used. And so I looked at that and I said, okay, how can we use that? Now we talked about, uh, Suzanne Crouch earlier to her credit. She has been a pretty, uh, forward-thinking lieutenant governor when it comes to things like the agriculture department that she oversees yeah. as lieutenant governor. She has been pretty influential on trying to uh, stop uh, China from buying uh, land in Indiana. It hasn't been successful yet, but but she's been out there uh, a champion of that. Mm-hmm. So th- again, this, this is not a, hey, I'm going to be lieutenant governor because everyone else has been terrible at it. It's, I want to be lieutenant governor because I believe I can take the ball and run it down the field another 10, 15 yards when it comes to truth. And uh, how cool would it be for the lieutenant governor to play an active role in getting out and and defending constitutional values and American exceptionalism within within hall, the halls of government, within schools, within church communities, within within the community. And this is all stuff I do on a regular basis anyway. And so I'm thinking, okay, if I had that platform of lieutenant governor to be able to speak truth and to defend what's right, to push back against the woke nonsense that's trying to destroy American ideals and traditions, then then I think that's that would be a great way to utilize the lieutenant governor's office. And I'd be a great team player to the governor. I'd be a support to the governor. I would take the arrows for the legislators. I'd get out and and be a voice that the media could could come after. And when the media comes after one person, it takes their sights off of other people who are maybe a little more timid and they and they don't really want to be the ire of uh, of the target, the media's, you know, the media's uh, target. Mm-hmm. So I think I could I could help be that guy. You look at Florida, Ron DeSantis. He has stepped out, taken the arrows. It's given cover to the legislature to get good legislation through. He's not afraid of the media. And they've they've made great gains down in Florida. But they, they have bold leadership. Right now in Indiana, we lack bold leadership. And I'll ask you this question, Tina. I ask this everywhere. Are I supposed to be asking this? Yes, question? you are. But I'm gonna I'm gonna You're flip turning I'm the turning table. the turntables that turn to turn. Oy vey. Okay. <laughs> and so, but but I, I travel the state and I ask this question that Republican Lincoln days at, at Republican clubs, all these like grassroots Republican functions. And I say, who is the one leader that we rally behind in Indiana? We're a supermajority Republican state. We should have a leader that we can point to to say, that's the guy, that's the gal that we rally behind. No, most people shake their heads. Like they don't, we don't have that. We don't person. have that. Who would you say? Like right now? Yeah. In Indiana. We don't have one. Yeah. We really don't we have don't one. We don't have one. 
And so that's part of my thing. It's like, okay, so let's go back to Suzanne Crouch. And I, you know, she's doing a lot good. So that's awesome. Most people aren't paying attention to farming and all of that. Although yeah. it's good. Unless you're a farmer, then you're very invested. We're the fourth largest timber producer in the country. Did you know that? No. It's amazing. That. Yeah. My second cousin twice removed was a lumberjack. That's amazing. No, that's awesome. Kidding. That's not true. <laughs> okay. But here's I went to Huntington <laughs> College. Our mascot was the lumberjacks. Huh. Or the foresters, but it was a lumberjack. So Okay. Uh, yeah. I'm reeling this back in. Okay. So <laughs> my question is though, so what the criticism Suzanne gets, which is really valid, is the governor did mask mandate, shutdowns, all of that. Vetoed so how, the women's sports bill. So many things yeah. that just fought, fought really, against constitutional carry. Yeah. Infuriated yeah. conservatives in Indiana. Yeah. So works with Klaus Schwab in the World Economic Forum over in Davos. Dude. Yeah. No, I know. It's it's serious. No, that's a great. So yeah, what is the great. role? Like what? So, okay. So Lieutenant Governor as a position. Yeah. Okay. Let's take the yeah. person out yeah, of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. What kind of influence does that position have in those situations where you have, you know, what a lot of people would say is a rhino yeah. in Holcomb sure. to affect change and like stop some of the stupid stuff you have a bully pulpit and that's that's what has not been used uh there's still this idea that reagan's 11th commandment is at play in our world right now and and if you don't know reagan's 11th commandment reagan said thou shalt not speak ill of a fellow republican so he was very very careful not to criticize his fellow republicans but remember republicans back then weren't ch champions of communism if there was a republican in in the party in reagan's day that was a champion of Marxism or communism or some really far left nonsensical ideology, Reagan would have criticized them. It's not that Reagan was like, oh, you're a Republican. You got an R next to your name. You get a pass on everything. No, it's that the Republican Party at the time hadn't gone off the cliff of crazy yeah. in some instances. And now we have, we have a left-leaning Republican Party when you have people like Governor Holcomb who won't even sign a bill that the legislator passed that would keep biological men from playing biological women's sports. Disgraceful. And, and so that's the thing. Like, Reagan would have criticized that all day long. He would have called out fellow Republicans if we were doing things so egregious when it came to the Republican principles that we are supposed to hold. And and so this this idea that, you know, you can't call out your Republican governor because you are a Republican officeholder. That is absolute, absolutely something that needs to change because that's how good government works when you have accountability. Yeah. You know, our founders never envisioned um, this idea of two-party system rule to be a good thing. And many of our founders even said, if we ever go into a two-party rule system, it's going to be the to the detriment of our republic. And so th what they're saying is, is that you create these tribes, these two major tribes, and that nobody within the tribes is willing to, to be accountable. You've got the leadership of the tribe basically setting course and everyone else just has to go along mm -hmm. or else they're going to get kicked out of the tribe. That's kind of what's happened here in Indiana is we've gotten lazy. We've gotten complacent for the last 20 years. We've been a, a Republican state. And and now we have lost accountability because everyone's afraid to call out fellow Republicans when they do something that isn't Republican in, in principle. And so as lieutenant governor, a good lieutenant governor would use the bully pulpit effectively. 
not to go out there and cause chaos just to cause chaos, but to say to the governor in a closed-door room, Governor, if you continue down this path, this is not a constitutional path, it's not conservative, it's not faith and family values in, in its approach, I'm giving you an opportunity to change the course now first privately. But if you keep going down this path, I will have no choice but to represent the people by speaking out against what you're doing in this constitutionally elected office. Remember, Lieutenant Governor, the office of Lieutenant Governor in Indiana is a people's office. It is not the governor's office. Many people think it's the governor's to give away. That's how it's operated right. over the last 40 years in Indiana. It's not his office. It's, it's not a carrot that he can pass out to his buddies for doing him a favor. It is the people's office. And so the lieutenant governor has, first and foremost, a duty to speak on behalf of the people. So if the governor's doing something that shouldn't be done, the lieutenant governor should use the bully pulpit. If the governor's doing something that should be done, the lieutenant governor should use the bully pulpit to catapult that down down the field. It's it's just not been used in a, an effective way. And I think somebody uh, with my skill set would be a great uh, mouthpiece and a great voice uh, to defend liberty and constitutional values and to catapult uh, Republican principles. So would you forward. say is that the reason that no one has approached the the lieutenant governor position the way you are because it's been kind of like the governor just handpicks yes. the yes man. But you're saying that's not how it's designed. That's right. Like it is supposed to be with the, the um, delegates. delegates elect the lieutenant governor. Yeah. So in Indiana, and every state does it differently, so it's not this way across all 50 states, but in Indiana, we have uh, an election process in May. It's called a primary. So May of 2024, we'll have a primary. But in that primary, Republicans will come together and they will vote for what we call delegates within their county. Every county has a certain number of delegates. Those delegates will be elected. A month later, those delegates will go down to a convention and they'll they'll take up the business of the party. Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of the business is to nominate state party officials. So for Secretary of State, Treasurer, Auditor, Attorney General, and Lieutenant Governor, those positions are nominated at the convention. Now, the four, Secretary of State, Attorney General, Treasurer, and Auditor, those four are are typically, there's a race. There's usually candidates that run for those, and you can vote as a delegate the best candidate that you think is going to represent your values. But for Lieutenant Governor, for some reason, even though the delegates get to vote, they have always been told unofficially by party leadership, you don't get to decide who Lieutenant Governor is. This is the governor. He gets to pick who he wants. You, who is that person? Like, <laughs> I want that person's name. Like, who who says that? Like, like who is it that, says, I mean, how is that perpetuated? Oh, I'll give you an example. So there's a lady, she's, uh, she's sort of been seen as sort of the godmother of Republican politics in Indiana for a number of years. Her husband's a senator, and and she's you know, very involved in in um, in politics. Well, I I had a conversation with her about running. She was she's she she seemingly like loves the Lord. I mean, she'll profess her faith in Christ. I mean, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and mm-hmm. she's been you know uh, I think in her younger years she would have been a champion for conservative values. I think she's becoming a little bit more. Uh, I think kind of taken in by the swamp, if you will. Um, And and I called her and I was saying, hey, I'm going to run for lieutenant governor. And she was so offended that I would even have the audacity to do this because this is not how the system works. And I said said to her, I said, well, the system is designed for the delegates to pick. And she said, it is the governor's right to pick. Says who? 
And that's what I said. I said, well, who has the authority to pick? That's when I, does the governor have the authority to actually nominate? And she stopped and she said, well, no, the delegates have the authority to nominate, but they should just affirm whoever the governor tells them to pick. It's like a marriage is what she said. The husband has to be able to pick his wife. And I said, no, it's not like a marriage. This is not family. This is politics. This is not, this is a completely separate institution than the family. Government operates differently than the institution of family. So do not, do not entangle those. This is the problem, right? She's treating it as an institution that God set up. And over here, she wants to apply the same rules and principles to this institution. That's how a lot of Christians get off track to begin with. It's the same reason why. You can say the death penalty is a godly thing, but it's not the institution of the church that's supposed to carry out the death penalty. Mm -hmm. That would be an ungodly act from the church. It's supposed to be in the hands of the government. The government is not the church. Therefore, the government has the responsibility given by God to operate this way. She's doing the same thing. She's saying, well, the family operates this way. Therefore, the government needs to operate this way. No, they're two separate institutions. Don't don't confuse the two because you will come to a very bad place. And and she basically said, she she said, I am not a fan of what you're doing because you've been critical of Governor Holcomb. And I said, whoa. And and, and the state party chairman uh, at the time of this recording, well, at the time of this conversation was a guy named Kyle Huffer. He's no longer the state party chairman. I've been critical of him. And she said to me, she said, these people are my family. And when you speak critical of them, you're you're criticizing my family, and I don't let people criticize my family. Wow. And I said, wow. I I didn't realize that we are... That's a very we, unhealthy, enmeshed vision I, and, of... And what family is there not criticism? Like, what spouse doesn't give constructive feedback and criticism to their oh, spouse? that would be mine. We don't do that. <laughs> so anyway, all that to say... <laughs> Yes, that's a long answer to your question of really long. Yeah, I know, right? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, but it's a it. Yes, it's not being received by those who love the system, but but I actually am going back to the principles and the way it was designed to work, and and no one's done this since uh, in the in modern political history because I think everyone typically is afraid to to buck the status quo, and here you know. Here I am, and like, no, let's give it a. So good, those, and are you kick. getting the same kind of response from like a majority of the Republican Party in Indiana? Like, how no, are people responding? No, no, to no, no. The 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 grassroots, the majority of the people that I that I come in contact who are like the blood, the life's blood of the party, they love it. They they love the idea. Even people who don't necessarily like me, they still love the idea that the delegates would actually have a a choice between multiple candidates. Because I think we all understand when there is competition when there is the ability for people to choose between many options um that's how you're going to get the best outcome for for the for the state and so this has just been a i think a long time coming we need to adjust i'm not trying to destroy the republican party i'm not trying to i love the republican party it's my i've been a republican my whole life my grandparents were involved with reagan's campaign my dad was involved in michigan state republican party for many years still is I am a Republican true and through. I love the party. I think we have great principles based in biblical Judeo-Christian principles. And so so I am just saying this is a slight adjustment that needs to happen to make the party better. And so mm-hmm. that's why, you know, that's why I, I jumped in. Well, we're glad you did. Thank you.
Um, I, it's just even from like a, like a personal standpoint, it's not good to have people around you who are just affirming everything you think is right. Like someone needs to say like, that's a stupid idea. That's why I work with you. Because I can tell you that every- You're very good at that. (laughs) I don't tell you that that's a stupid idea. I just say, maybe not the best course of action. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Also, AKA, that's a stupid idea. That's a stupid idea. That's okay. But you take it too. I do. I, I, I am, I am certainly surrounded by a lot of people who have no problem telling me I'm making a stupid idea. So. Yes. Yes. But you know, in love. That's it's right. Well, love. and that's the thing. If you're okay with criticism, I, I see, I've never understood why people in the state party right now who are leading the state party are so adverse uh, or so con- uh, criti- criticism adverse. Like they are, they, they hate to be criticized and i think to me it's like no i I love criticism i want people to make me defend what i truly believe and if i can't defend it then i don't it's either not right Mm -hmm. or i need i don't know it well enough and i got to go back to the drawing board and and dive in and and learn it better and that i'm just either in either outcome i'm better for that criticism right like i come out on the other end better if it was wrong and i'm humble enough to recognize that then i adjust course and change which makes it awesome that's good which is one thing when it's like criticism back and forth but you in particular as of late ish have really been on the receiving end of a lot of negativity like not just hey i think you should rethink this idea it's name calling and, yeah. and hate coming from some people yeah yeah sure out in social media and showing up at events and stuff like that so just how how do you view those people and your approach to them? That's good. The there's far more people behind me in my corner than there are against me. I'll tell you that much right now. I get way more encouragement and love and support from people, whether it's social media posts, whether it's uh, text messages, emails saying, "Hey, thank you so much for what you're doing. We're with you." It it means the world to me when that happens because it just reminds me, okay, God has given me a, a solid support network. And, um, and, and then the people who are, are usually the hate filled, you know, screaming, you know, all kinds of things at me and, you know, send me, you know, nasty messages. I don't, I don't, I'm not upset by that because I know that ultimately they are like you, you can, you can tell in the words they're using and in their tone, they hate God. They hate everything about what God stands for. They hate everything about the biblical foundations of the word of God. So I know, even though they're not the enemy, I've never looked at those people as the enemy, but they're being influenced by the demonic, which I know is the enemy. So if I were to walk by a demon and the demon manifest itself and 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 I could see the demon and the demon either laid off me and didn't really, didn't see me as a threat, so therefore didn't need to attack me, that's not good because I'm like, well, I'm not being, why am I not a threat to this demon? I should be, I should be a threat to this demon. Right. And, and then if the demon sees me as a threat and is spewing all kinds of, you know, you know, uh, hell laced, you know, obscenities at me, well, that's a good thing, right? Because I'm on the side of Christ. I'm on the side of light. Of course, darkness is going to be offended by me. And if darkness is never, is, is, if there's ever a time where darkness ceases to be offended by me, that is what keeps me up at night. Mm-hmm. I I I take all of these hate-filled 
you know, uh, arrows that people shoot at me. And, and, I, and I see who they're coming from. I'm like, okay, you obviously don't know the truth of God's word, and you hate God. You are a totally opposed to God in your lifestyle and everything about you, and you're shooting arrows at me. That's actually really encouraging. I actually see that as a, I actually love it when I get those types of messages because I'm like, okay, I'm still on the right path. I, it'd be like, would, would Winston Churchill ever lose sleep that Adolf Hitler hated him? Right. You know, like, no, like he's going to be like, that's, that's a good reminder that that's the enemy. Right. I, and if Adolf Hitler was ever uh, like beginning to come alongside of me and encourage me and say, I'm doing a good job, that would be a big problem. Mm -hmm. And so, so it's the same thing in today's culture. they, They sort of, for lack of a better word, like writhe and get wound up because their bully tactics work on most people that's right yeah like they shoot back a nasty comment yeah. call a name and everyone else is like okay i'm not yeah. i'm not up for this and so they shut up but you don't i don't and i think it's uh i love life church because nathan pastor nathan you know you um uh other people on staff they are in that same vein of warrior mindset where it's like we don't bow down to the cancel culture. We actually engage more. It actually encourages us more to engage when the the left or the demonic voices or or the cancel culture comes at us. We get fired up. We're like the we're like the uh the uh the war horse in the book of Job that hears the trumpets of battle that feels the arrows the quiver hit its uh, side and it begins to get riled up and it's like, "Oh, I'm excited for the battle." And so I think that's really important. You got to find your warrior tribe. Mm-hmm. And I, I think whoever you are listening to this today, find your warrior tribe because yeah. you will you will be as bold and as courageous as the people you surround yourself with. And 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 then the Bible also also talks about one can put a thousand to flight, but two can put ten thousand to flight. And so it 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 grows at this exponential. Uh, amount. It's not, you would think one can put a thousand to flight. That means two could put 2000 to flight. No, the Bible's saying you have two warriors standing back to back fighting. You can actually put 10,000 to flight because of, because of your teamwork there. And, and I think that's really, really important for, and you have to, you have to, um, remind yourself of your why yeah like you're not fighting for the sake of fighting yeah we're fighting because we believe god's word says this is what's right about babies and life and this is what's right about marriage like it's not just um i believe this so i'm gonna just fight a bunch of people about it on social media it's no we're standing for truth we're standing for the word of god and you do that really well i think one of the things of um that I have appreciated about you the most. I'm only gonna say this once, so enjoy. <laughs> it's it. recording, so uh, <laughs> you're gonna I play could, it over I will, and over. I will crop this out. Actually, this will be the WIBC <laughs> ad that we run because uh, we do WIBC ads every week, and I'm just gonna cl- clip this out. And no, but I think you do a phenomenal job of explaining why churches should be talking about policy, oh, because thanks. I Thank think you. most people are like, well. Okay, there were two things that you're not supposed to talk about in families, and that's religion and politics. And you're saying, no, not only should we talk about them around the table, but we should talk about them together from the pulpit and educate the people on the word of God and and how that, because 
um, you know, what you believe innately about life, about God, your morality determines policy. Yeah. The devil has done a good job of making the American pastor believe that the gospel should stay out of the world of politics. Let me, let me say that a little differently because I know somebody's going to be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you said that. No, there is, is no- Is that what they sound like when they yeah, say that? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you said that. The gospel should be everything. The gospel should influence everything. The gospel is everywhere. The gospel of Jesus Christ should mold and shape every little thing about our culture and every big thing about our culture. If you are a follower of Jesus, the gospel is it. And so when you can say that there is a separation between politics and the gospel, you have now just defiled the Great Commission. When Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, what he's, he's saying, let the whole world be influenced and transformed and redeemed by the gospel. Well, the reason our political environment is so filthy today in America and so dark, it's because the church said a long time ago in America, mm, there's a difference between the gospel and politics, and the gospel should never come into the world of politics, and the world of politics should never come into the world of the gospel. They should never meet anywhere. Mm -hmm. And so what do you think is going to happen? You just created a vacuum church because you abandoned an arena with the light. And now you expect the light to somehow get there, but you're not taking it there. That will not happen. And so church leaders don't know how to connect those dots anymore. Yeah. And so then when they get pressure from woke ideology, they, they just, bend. They bend. They bow down. Because it's, you know, being kind. That's right. Yeah. So the great, the, the great, um, I would say deceptive tool that the devil has in his arsenal is that he he makes it sound right. Mm -hmm. a, a good lie, Loving. yes, a good lie is only a good lie if it sounds right. If it doesn't mm -hmm. sound like a lie, I mean, look how he deceived Eve and, and Adam in the garden. He he literally said, "You know what? Like God didn't tell you this because you'll die. Did God really say that? Like I think." God's God's idea was right. Like he was almost, he was making it sound like you just misinterpreted God. Well, it's not God's wrong. No, no, God's right. But you just didn't understand what he said. No, you understood just fine, Adam, what God had told you. Yeah. But now the devil took this little deceptive tool and he got it into your th thought process and it, it destroyed everything. And at least wrecked everything until Christ came back on the scene, and, and now He's making all things new. But, but I, but look how much destructive destruction it caused. And so, so pastors have been bamboozled by the devil for, I would say, the last ten years in this culture war because the left will say Jesus loves everyone, which is true. He does love everyone. That's right. And then they'll take it to the lie. Here's where the lie comes in. Then they'll say, so you need to accept somebody because Jesus loves everyone. Ooh, wait a second. There's the lie. Mm -hmm. does, does Jesus accept everyone? It sounds really good. And it sounds almost like the same thing that was said first. But does Jesus accept everyone? If you know scripture, Jesus does, does not God. accept everyone. He says, narrow is the path that leads to everlasting life. And wide is the path of destruction. Mm -hmm. There will be many on the day of judgment that say, Lord, Lord, we cast out demons in your name. We healed the sick in your name. We did this in your name. And he's going to say, depart from me. You, I never knew you. Depart from me. I don't accept you. 
right? But, but God, Jesus, you love me. No, yes, I do love you, but I don't know you. And I'm not going, what, what fellowship does light have with darkness? What fellowship does good have with evil? And that's the problem. Pastors have been bamboozled into that little weaselly lie of, well, pastor, you need to accept my lifestyle. You need to accept my sin. Mm-hmm. You need to accept me just as I am because Jesus accepts me just as I am. No, 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 no. Jesus welcomes you just as you are, and then he changes you to look like he looks. That's different. Well, than- God's biggest expression of how much he loves everybody was Jesus on the cross. That's right. And he gave the option. He's like, look, the wages of sin is death. Yep. I've made a way. Yeah. So come, accept my son. Yeah. You have a way to life through him. So, I mean, God is very loving. Like, yeah. He, he really did make a way, but what we're saying and what the, some of, I think, church leaders have done is they've shied away from that. Yeah. And now it's like, well, being loving is this. And God, yeah, and it, it's so sad and it's so disappointing because I think the church should have such a strong leadership role in governance, in, in families, in the state, like... It really should be the first institution people go to. I mean, yeah. when it comes to education, like all things. Like I just imagine if if every church leader was able to connect these dots successfully, how yeah. different our society would be. There was a bar, a Barna poll uh, uh, survey that was done a few years ago, and it was uh, it said that thirty three million evangelicals in America don't vote. I mean, that they don't they don't vote, and. And we are on a on a federal level. We are seeing elections won at a couple thousand, mm-hmm. uh, you know, vote difference. Couple thousand, and even presidential elections, we're seeing a couple hundred thousand yeah. vote difference. I mean, you go back to the Bush Gore. I mean, it was just a hundred. It was just a few hundred thousand votes that made a difference in some really strategic states, and and so. Think about if 33 million Christians were to vote biblical values, things would change overnight. Now, why aren't they voting? That's the other question. Why aren't they voting? Because they haven't been taught the value of, of national stewardship, stewarding the nation God has given you. Now, whose job is it to teach them? Ultimately, the responsibility rests with the individual to learn and to grow. Like, you should seek truth. The Bible says to seek out truth, right? Knock and it will be opened. Seek and you will find. But the Lord puts shepherds in our lives. Now, who are the shepherds? The shepherds are the pastors. They're the ones that are, they go to school, they study, they they give their life to know the word of God so that they can then teach others. Well, why are 33 million Christians not voting? Because somewhere along the line, they don't have a teacher worth their weight in you know beans you know and well i think that's part i think i would add to that though because i think anyone who takes mainstream media as their news source and i think probably a lot of the population does like i don't i mean it's very few that you can trust but if they take that as their source it would be easy to have a defeatist attitude about voting yeah. Like it's all dishonest. It's all crooked. Yeah. The, you know, votes are showing sure. up underneath tables, yeah. like whatever. So, I mean, you can see that, but you don't quit the fight just because. It- well, there's, I would say that is a direct result of someone not having biblical literacy, right? Mm-hmm. So everything I take in, I filter through the word of God. 
but how do you do that? You have to know the word of God first. When I see the, the election fraud, I mean, Philadelphia, good Lord, Pennsylvania, they threw out their state constitution. They, they did things so shady that it would even make a, you know, Al Capone blush when it comes to stealing elections. Like it is, it is not a secret that there is great election fraud happening in, in America, but but I could become very discouraged. I could say, well, I don't live in Pennsylvania. So in, in Indiana, to Indiana's credit, is pretty solid. It doesn't mean that there's not election fraud that happens. There is. But but for the most part, we've done things from a legislative level that have shored up our election integrity, and that's that's good. But but it's like, man, it, I might as well not even vote because Indiana's going to vote red anyway. And, you know, I, geez, you know I'm the, I don't live in Pennsylvania. The fight's over there. Well, if I don't know the word of God then I might give in to those those feelings. Right. But the word of God says to do what is right because it's the right thing to do. You don't right. you don't give up just because you're outnumbered or because the battle looks bleak. You do what's right because God calls you to it. Right. So to people who watch the mainstream media, I don't have a problem watching mainstream media as long as you're filtering it through the word of God. I can watch MSNBC all day long and filter it through the word of God and I can see what's true mm-hmm. and then I can see the 95% of it that's not true. <laughs> You know what I mean? And I'll say the same thing about Fox. Like, I'll watch Fox do the same thing. I will filter it through the word of God. I can see what's you true. You can watch it all day long, dude. Well, I mean, I can. Yeah. When you know what they have now? I get mad. Uh, YouTube TV has these, like, it's like football. You know where they're doing the multiple screens, like on one screen, so you can watch, like, a football game? You can watch four football games at one time. They're doing that with news now. So I can watch four different news outlets, which is pretty Why amazing. Dude, I found this the other day and I'm like living my best life. So I got like Fox News, Newsmax, and uh, BBC and MSNBC. Like I've got like the the game. And it's super interesting because you can Don't tell my husband. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna turn the tables yeah. on the conversation. Turn the tables as the turntables I'm, turn. We are still turning tables. Hey, um, so Let's talk about Micah Beckwith, the person. That's scary. Why? (laughs) Because I feel like I'm going to have to get vulnerable now. Oh, well, that's what I do. So how does that make you feel? So this one time in middle school, (laughs) guy tripped me when I was, he was a high schooler and he laughed at me. No, um, no, we don't have to go that deep. And I don't really want to hear all that. Okay. So um, (laughs) I'm just kidding. But no, I mean, so how, how does your family, like, you running is a big deal for everybody. Sure. Right? It affects your yeah. family directly and probably more so. You know, yeah. So what is their mindset as they support you through this? Well, I think it's it is certainly Susan has always been, you know, my she's a my rock and she's she's always supportive and she's she's a loyalist. I mean, she's very, very loyal. Mm-hmm. Um that is probably uh what makes probably politics hard for her. Because it's hard for somebody who's very loyal to sit back and be quiet when those that they are loyal to yeah. are being attacked, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that's that is probably the hardest aspect of any family member that goes through politics. Yeah, um, it's not so much that they can't handle the fighting or the attacks; it's that it's coming on somebody that they love, and they just have to sort of take the higher road all the time. They, yeah. they, they themselves, even they can't even jump in and defend them because then it looks like the politician has someone else fighting his battles for him. Right. Right. And so it's really, it's very, it's very difficult. Now my kids are young. 
I don't, they don't know a difference at, at, at this point right now. So we haven't really began to walk through that. I'm sure there will come moments in their life. And that, your your family, like your parents and siblings, are very politically minded. Oh, yes. And yeah. So I know you have a lot of support there, too. Yeah. So on the Beckwith side, we've always been very strong advocates for truth in the worldly government. And that goes, I mean, that goes back to my grandparents even. And then on the my mom's side, well, then on Susan's side, um, uh, even, you know, her her mom is is very politically engaged and has always been, you know, on a local level, has been very That's so engaged. interesting yeah. to me because we grew up. Now, I don't think my mom would agree with this now, but when we were raised, it was you don't talk about that. Like, I don't think when we were young, I don't think they talked about who they voted for yeah. with each other. That's like right. My mom and dad. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, I was probably 12 years old, and talking politics around our, our table was just very commonplace. And, and so I remember being at dinner with some of my mom, my mom and dad's friends. And I was sitting at the dinner table. I think it was out of the, the golf course that I was, that we were, we, we were playing that day. And so I just gotten off the course. I came in, mom and dad are at dinner in the, in the restaurant part of the, with their friends. So I go over to them and we just start talking and, and, and I'm not going to stick around. I'm going to go back on the golf course. And, but, but some, somehow the conversation came up to, to the election and I asked my parents' friends who, you know, I'm 12, I'm a 12-year-old and they're, you know, probably 45 at the time. I said, who did you vote for? And the guy very quickly said, well, that's a personal question. We don't tell people who we vote, vote for. And I remember just being like, you should come spend time at our house there, bub. You know, like we tell people who we voted for. We demand to know who you voted for. We want to see pictures of your ballot. You know, like I just was, you know, I didn't, I didn't respond or say anything. I just have never forgotten that because um, I, I thought to myself, well, that's weird. That, that is so out of place. And I think, I think back in those days, I think it was probably a little more innocent when people said, you know, politics is private, but we have seen the, consequences of leaving politics in a private place we have seen the fact that the long march through academia that that the marxists have taken over the last 40 years in america it has destroyed american culture and ideals through a political movement and it's because the good people didn't speak up yeah the good people stayed silent it wasn't that they be one of those people you know yeah I just, right? I don't ever want to be one of those people. It, what, what is, uh, what's the, the famous saying? Uh, the only thing necessary for evil to, uh, win is for good, good men to do nothing. Right? right. And I think, I think doing nothing is speaking, right? Like, I think that, I think you can also, you don't have to, your actions don't have to be like getting out and, you know, doing something. It's literally just speaking. That's doing something. Yeah. Speak the truth. John, mm-hmm. John 8, 32, you, you know, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, how are people going to know the truth if God's children aren't speaking the truth? Right. You're just sitting quiet. Like, yeah. I know the truth. I so know. That's yeah. good. Right. Yeah. So anyway, so all that to Which say. Which is why Life Church is a great place to be. Because yeah. Because we have a lot of freedom to speak truth. We literally just had, just a, conference had a conference called the Truth Conference. I mean, like just yes. last weekend. Yeah. It was amazing. So, it, it, but that's the point. You know, the silent majority has destroyed America. Mm-hmm. The silent majority has destroyed America because they stayed silent. Yeah. And and Marcuse and Angela Davis and some of these leaders of the CRT movement and the Marxist, the 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 critical theory movement that that have that go all the way back to the the 40s, 50s, and 60s in America, they weren't staying silent. Mm-hmm. The Black Liberation Movement, BLM, that that was that was the original Black Liberation Movement 
what they they were very loud. Yeah. And look what happened. They got a ton of ground and they got it in academia. We, the silent majority, stayed quiet and ceded all this ground to some very wicked ideology, an evil ideology, an anti-American ideology, yeah. communist ideology. And this is what the fruit of that silence yeah. is. Uh, Christy Stutzman, a good friend of ours, she has um, she has an amazing book coming out in December. I just pre-ordered a copy. I've, I've seen some of the the pre-work of it. It's going to be awesome, but it's called the, the spiritual, the spiritual price of political silence. Oh, wow. That's good. And, and it's all about America's silent majority staying politically quiet and the spiritual price we have paid for that. Great mm-hmm. example. If you don't, if you don't believe in that, if you think somehow that's some right wing conspiracy thing to say, just look at our public schools, mm-hmm. 1963, a political ideology removed biblical teaching from the schools. Yep. 1963, look how pathetic of a downslide our public education system has had in America over these last 70 years. It, it, is, it is absurd the amount of money that we spend in America on public education. And look how pathetically broke and weak and terrible it is. It produces awful fruit. Like people, we spend disclaimer. There are great teachers out there. Speaking who, who of overcome bad <laughs> systems, <laughs> I am not. My mom was a teacher. My grandpa was a principal. I love good teachers. You have a daughter, Maria. Your daughter Tina is a great teacher. She is. But but you you could be a great uh, deckhand on the Titanic, and that t- the Titanic's still sinking. For sure. Right. Yep. You can go and make that, you know, rearrange all of the no, furniture. No, I get the, it. The yeah. system, the yeah, system it's broken. is awful, but there's good people doing their oh, best sure. in a broken system. And good just pe- like the people, you know, they put the lifeboats out on the Titanic yes. and they played the violin. Like <laughs> and they, they did died. their part. <laughs> hey, I have a speed round for yes, you. I okay. know we need to wrap this up. Okay. So speed round, are you ready? Yes, let's go. All right. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on a second. Wait, I'm not ready. Let's do You're this. You're not? Let's do this. Let's get some, uh, can we find some like speed round uh, music to play maybe? How about that? Does okay. That, does that work? Sure. Okay. So um, I feel like I should have had control of the board. Yeah. Well, you know what? It's uh, turntables didn't the, turn. I was going to say I'm not. I'm not that uh, naive. So um, uh, here we go. Let's go. Speed All round. Right, you ready? Here we go. Ice cream. Uh, chocolate. Main dish. Pasta. Movie. That thing you do. Rainy day activity. Uh, probably just hanging out with my family. Uh, favorite thing to do outdoors. I like to golf. I like to snow ski, extreme That's ski, water ski. Sorry, no, no, no. I like to hike. It's a one answer. <laughs> it's a speed round. Favorite sport. Um, I would say probably golf. Favorite book. Uh, geez, that changes. I'm going to go with Letters to the American Church by Eric Metaxas because that is a great book, but also Woke Jesus by Lucas uh, Miles uh, is also another great book. Yeah. He came to the Truth Conference, by the way. He's amazing. He is amazing. Okay. Uh, Favorite leader? Jeez. (sighs) Well, I mean, is it going to be... Is it going to be... No. Is it going to be cliche (laughs) to say Jesus? I mean, ultimately, you look at Christ... cliche, but it's also right. I mean, you look at Christ. I mean, he's the... I mean, he's the embodiment of good leadership. I feel like this music shouldn't play when you're talking about (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) All right. Jesus. 
Okay. Okay. Uh, favorite book of the Bible? Uh, considering where we are right now in all of the world going to hell in a handbasket, Revelation. Okay. <laughs> a little light reading. Uh, favorite Bible verse? Uh, right now it's John 8, 32. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Awesome. That was the speed round. That's it? That's it. Hey. I can keep going. Well, let me, uh, can I, can I give myself some applause? This is why I should be in charge of the board. Uh, I was thinking more like the wah, wah, wah. So. That one. That one? All right. Yeah, the movie. (laughs) Really? Oh, wait, the movie. Uh, have you never seen that thing you do? I don't think so. It's amazing. It's uh, Tom Hanks. It's about a band. It's, they were called The Wonders. They had a one-hit wonder. Oh, yeah. It's you were the, in a band. It's from the 60s. It's amazing. I love the movie. I was in a band. I like to play music. Mm-hmm. You're yeah. very talented musician. You're like a one-man. Like You could have like the accordion and the drum and the cymbals. You know what's and- weird? I, I, feel like, I feel like this is true. I am, the, I am the jack of all trades and master of none. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I really am. Like I, I am not world-class in anything I do, but I can hold my own with anyone out there like you put me with musicians i can hold my own mm-hmm. you put me with politicians i can hold my own you put you know what i take that back you put me with a group of really smart mathematicians i would not be able to hold my <laughs> own i tell you that right now i i do not like math i i'm not good i need my phone and my calculator <laughs> or else i'm in big trouble which yeah. by the way you remember in co- in school when they told us you need to learn this Free form by hand because you will not be able to have a calculator at all, all times. At all times, which is a bunch of crap because now we do in our phones oh, have a calculator. You don't even have to use the calculator now. You can enter the equation and hit Google, and they'll just tell you the answer. Amazing! You you could just literally say to Siri, "What is the answer to this?" You don't even yes. have to touch your phone. Our teachers couldn't <laughs> see like what was going to happen in 2023, and I'm very upset about that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well cool. You know. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks for letting me. This was awesome. Thank you. Well, I it's not really it. a takeover if you let me. Like, I mean, I'll just have to storm in here one time when you're not here. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll have Jesus, Sex, and Politics episodes coming out. It'll be like, where did you know, that come from? People will be like, what was that episode about? Like, <laughs> I have no idea. So, well, Tina, I appreciate you and your heart. Uh, you gonna run for office someday? Oh well, no. I mean, I am, hey, I am in the car. God is driving. If he stops, opens a door, and kicks me out, that's how it rolls. That's what I like to hear. There we go. That is a yes. You heard it here first on Jesus, Sex, and Politics. Tina Pavey announces her candidacy. Not true. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for listening. You want to take us out? uh, This is Jesus, Sex, and Politics, where we, what what do we do? We say things. We talk about things that people don't want to talk about. That will scare you. 